Welcome to the Club Soda Club. We're three friends, each with our own sobriety story. Sharing our personal experiences and what we've learned along the way about leading a new alcohol-free life. Hello and welcome to the 11th meeting of the Club Soda Club. We are going to do roll call. My name is Derek Bolin and I am present. My name is Kate and I am present. Kate, thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, I'm going to say that both Scott and Jess were unable to join us for this episode. Uh, Jess has unfortunately withdrawn from the podcast due to uh, just general things going on in her life and her overcommitting and wanting to kind of narrow her focus a little bit. So she will be missed. But Jess, thank you for your contributions. Scott is out with no voice. uh, So he was unable to join us for this one. But we have Philadelphia's own Kate of Instagram's The Sober Kates joining us. Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure, Derek. Uh, So I'm very happy to finally be here. I have been sober for almost three years. March 27, 2017 is my sober birthday. And um, basically what got me there was a very long string of excessive drinking, binge drinking, blacking out, shame spirals, um, severe anxiety the next morning, never knowing what I did. Even if I didn't do something, like, convinced that I definitely did. Um, And then basically the last six months of my drinking was just... I had some personal things going on and then just gave me more fuel to my fire and just kept drinking and even worse things kept happening, like injuries and blackouts and um, starting to drink so much. Like, I was hoping that I wasn't going to wake up in the morning, um, staying in and drinking so that, you know, I didn't have that chance of embarrassing myself, but I could still numb every single thing that was going on in my life. And then finally, I kind of just woke up, I guess, and decided that I didn't want to live like that anymore and thought that the alternative was probably I was going to die. So I chose to live. We're definitely glad you did, Um, me personally. Um, So the way I I look at that is, uh, and I said, you and I had a conversation earlier today because I said that you had thoughtfully decided to quit drinking because you didn't hit that, that really like awful rock bottom moment that like forced you into action. It was more, you kind of saw the trajectory your life was taken, um, over the past few months or years and, and looked at the cumulative effect drinking was having in your life and, and decided to stop as a result of that. Um, to me, that's definitely a thoughtful approach to it. Uh, I came out recently, uh, on my four year sober anniversary, which was on December 11th, um, for the, the catalyst that led me to stop drinking, which was, uh, I basically got in my vehicle one night after, um, a pretty like innocuous function with friends going out uh, with with work friends. It was weeknight. Everyone was planning on, uh, you know, just having a nice dinner. Uh, I took the whole event off the rails. I got blackout drunk. Everyone else got blackout drunk. I got in my car uh, and managed to crash into five other cars, then get back in my car, 
uh, drive 10 blocks in the other direction, put my car into some dude's front yard and try to flee the scene on foot where I was promptly arrested. So to me, that I needed that to, to stop drinking myself, I look at someone who maybe didn't need something quite so dramatic and I'm like, yeah, like that, you, you took a thoughtful approach to it. Um, at the same time, I also think that maybe your car crash is me waking up with a random stranger or you know, losing seven hours of a night. So it's different for everybody. That is true. Um, so what was the, I guess, what was what was the catalyst? Like what finally pushed you over the edge to, like what was the moment where you were like, no more, I, I can no longer do this? Um, it was a long weekend. It was St. Patrick's Day weekend. And I, it was a Friday night. I think the f- before, I, I don't remember what day of the week that St. Patrick's <laughs> was day on that year, but I think we celebrated it that Friday of that weekend. And you are, you have Irish heritage, right? I am. Okay. I'm like 50%. <laughs> That's enough. Uh, so I wasn't even going to go out that night. It's kind of crazy. Um, and then I ended up going to like a local bar and, um, I couldn't even tell you who I was hanging out with, but then I met up with some people that just like to party and hung out with them, made some bad decisions, got crazy, hated myself really bad the next morning. Um, And then I was supposed to go to my friend's birthday party and I tried to cancel and he kind of guilted me into going and... I just remember like being, we went out to like a group dinner. I remember being at the group dinner, like trying to drink purposely enough to get rid of my feeling from the night before. Um, and then also, you know, get rid of, through, whatever, rid of the withdrawal and the shakes. So then that eventually caught up to me and I just had another wild night and I kind of woke up and was just like, I'm done. Um, that wasn't before though. I did have a trip to Key West planned for that week. And I was like, all right, so I'm not going to stop drinking before I go on vacation to Key West of all places. And, um, so I took that week, drank every single day for a week. And then, Is that because you knew you were sobering yes, up after that? So I knew. You just- I knew I was. I wouldn't recommend going about it that way. But I knew that I was sobering up, and I had my last drink in the Key West airport, and it was like after a huge blowout fight with my dad, and I had my last drink to cope with emotions in the Key West airport before I went home, went through the security line after having the drink, and then I immediately started listening to... um, some sober podcasts and from there that's was march 26th and i woke up sober and here i am the rest is history yeah um so we're talking about uh we're recording this episode on january the 9th 9th um obviously new year's resolutions it's the first week of a new year 2020 uh a lot of people probably are considering sobriety maybe more so particularly after like an alcohol fueled holiday season oh definitely um 
So New Year's resolutions, a lot of people probably in early sobriety. Uh, so we're talking today about the pink cloud. Um, Kate, do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Did you notice this week on Instagram that there was a lot of like sober birthdays? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, with good reason. Yeah. Uh, but apparently, some resolutions do stick. I think they say statistically, you're more likely to fail if you make something a New Year's resolution. But really? there there are a lot of sober birthdays on Instagram this week. Yeah. Um, So that's one of the reasons why I wanted or suggested that we talk about the pink cloud. Um, Just because anyone that's listening that maybe is trying like dry January may be experiencing this or just someone that's new to early sobriety. Uh, The pink cloud is something that they actually use in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it basically just describes like it's like the honeymoon phase of a relationship. Um, or like living with rose-colored glasses and everything's amazing and you can see nothing wrong. Um, it's basically when the alcohol starts leaving your system and leaving your brain and you start drying out and all of a sudden you're no longer numb. And if you're someone like me, you were numb for a very long time. And uh, you just have a kind of rush of emotions and... Um, any emotion, happy, sad, it's an emotion. So, um, it just feels good to have them again. So was the pink cloud something that, because I'm kind of on the outside for this episode, because when I made the decision to get sober, it was immediately following the dumbest fucking thing I'd ever done in my life. And I spent the next like I basically spent the first month of my sobriety just sleepwalking through life, convinced that my life was over and knowing I couldn't drink. But I didn't get this feeling of euphoria that that people talk about until like much later, once I had finally resolved all of my legal and personal issues that stemmed from this. <laughs> um, was it something that you yourself encountered in early sobriety? Yes. One, I think because I'd never really made any sort of change to my life personally before. Um, So it was a huge one. Uh, Probably for the first three months, I would say, I was sober. I'm not sure I really remember much. Um, I think I just stayed in my house most of the time and just kind of, like, was figuring out, like, how am I going to do this? What am I doing? Um, But once I started feeling more secure in, like, my sobriety, I think that's, that's when the pink cloud started um basically I was in that like euphoric stage like I just wanted everything to change every single thing about my life um I remember re-enrolling in college and trying to start that again um or taking some more classes I wanted to become a yoga teacher at one point Um, I was like the type of person that was just like crying all the time, just like so happy and so much gratitude and like so proud of myself that I was able to change my life. And, um, I think I coasted through that cloud for the first year, I would say. I mean, okay. So there, there are these, um, I guess valid or justified feelings that because you did make a very positive change to your life. Um, how do you separate that from maybe your brain just experiencing 
emotions for the first time and like a euphoric response to that versus actually acknowledging that like feeling legitimately good about yourself because you you had kicked this awful habit that it kept you down for so long well i've never really felt that great about myself so i don't think that i would be able to to um separate those two things i think that's especially like in the early sobriety when like you're just coming out of you know however long it was that you were numbing yourself um you don't really know anything <laughs> like i always say i was like a brand, a um a newborn baby when i came out of sobriety cuz i had no idea who i was i had even no idea what i liked um nothing i knew nothing I think that's true of a lot of people, right? Like, especially um, myself, I, I would say, is included in that. I spent so long using alcohol as uh, a substitute for personality or a coping mechanism that I just, like, I didn't know how to feel emotions or or cope with emotions or cope with situations in my life or even, like, again, like, I haven't even really started discovering who I am until very recently. It was just, like, a more of a just distracting myself with various addictions, whether those be like alcohol or drugs or work or hobbies or, um, so the pink cloud, when we see people talk about it, it's often framed in this kind of negative way. Like, um, it's, uh, kind of a trick of self delusion that people are playing on themselves to, um, I don't know, to cope with the loss of alcohol in their lives or to, to get through the, the punish punishing stages of early sobriety. Um, what do you, do you think it's a necessary thing? Do you think it's a positive thing? Do you think it's a negative thing? What is your take? So feeling good about your recovery is super important. Uh, being depressed for so long, I think that any sense of normalcy can feel like a high and that's pretty common. You know, you, you're down for so long that, if you feel like any sort of uptick, you're just, and you get all this crazy amount of energy and it's just like, what can I do? Um, so I think that's pretty normal, but, um, so it's good to propel yourself, uh, but it can also be bad because it can be, you can be impulsive. Um, and <laughs> I may have experienced that. <laughs> Who's to judge? And unreal, you can have unrealistic expectations. <laughs> Um, that it's like easy to become a yoga teacher. Um, Is it not? I, I don't know. <laughs> you never went through with I it. I never went through with it. I've, I haven't done yoga in <laughs> two and a half years. So <laughs> and that was a delusion. Um, so you're experiencing all these highs again. So you could feel like you're um, cured, so to say. And having... But you had you made no real changes. So when I was in the pink cloud, it wasn't like I was like your stereotypical white knuckling, like, oh my god, how am I gonna live sober? Like that was the easiest part. Like I chose to be sober, and that's how I, my life was gonna be from there on out. But uh, for the first month or first year, I just definitely coasted through, and then pretty much almost exactly on my year um, or one year anniversary, I was like all right, like, now the work has to be done. Um, 
So I think that if you haven't made any real changes to sustain your sobriety, like changing your habits, your social circles, then, um, you know, you can be literally high on life. It's kind of like what the pink cloud can be. And when your first hardship and sobriety comes along and you're just like, shit, like, I never figured out how to deal with the things that I used alcohol to cope for. And I don't have any other coping mechanisms. So, you know, what choices do I have? Um, And then as people with addictive personalities, there's that potential to keep chasing that high. So you're riding high along this cloud. You feel a little down. Like, are you going to be able to bring yourself back up? You don't want to bring yourself back up to the cloud. But, um, you know, most of us, I know me definitely, like, addicted to feelings. Um, So you just keep chasing after that. And, you know, if you can embrace it and think that, you know, think of it as positive but also kind of stay grounded, then I think that's a bit safer. Um. Yeah, we have talked a lot uh, on this podcast before about kind of um, transference, I guess. So as addicts, it's really easy to to quit alcohol and to sober up. It's not, not really easy. easy to do that. Sorry. <laughs> Watch it. It's when you do sober up and quit alcohol, it's easy to transfer that. Like a lot of people, again, like I jumped into running and I was like, oh, I'm a runner now. Like this is my identity. Two weeks ago, I was a drunk. Now I'm a runner. I jumped into ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, what do you call a professional ice cream eater? Is that, are you on the pro circuit? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like, again, it's the same thing. Like you can, you can find a new addiction that's ostensibly healthier than alcohol. Um, but again, you're, you're still using it to kind of fill that void in your life. Right. And to not have to face those things head on. Um, so with that in mind, what, what is a realistic approach to early sobriety look like to you? And if somebody is listening to this podcast and they just sobered up in the past nine days, uh, and they're still kind of riding that high when like, does it make sense to start the work immediately? So that the first time that trigger comes along, they, they know how to cope with it without turning back to, to those old habits or what would your advice be? I would not recommend starting the work immediately. Um, It's super painful, and that's, like, the only way you grow through what you go through. And, you know, I can definitely testify that when you start digging through your shit, it hurts. Like, if it doesn't hurt, then, you know, you're probably only scratching the surface. Um, I think I heard a really great analogy before that... Your sobriety is like a house. So the first year of your sobriety, you're kind of just getting settled into your house. And then after year one, you find a room that you want to redo. And you redo that room. Then year two, you redo that room. And you kind of just work on it that way. Um, Year three, you discover a hidden cellar that's all full of, like, shit and dead bodies. You have yeah. to clear those out. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was a really great analogy because you can't, like I said before, you can't just start fixing things. And I know that I think I've taken, like, a year break from working on anything. Um, 
just because it is it becomes exhausting like and me since I'm addictive I started becoming obsessed with fixing myself now well I was gonna say do you feel like you have a compu- like you're compulsively working on on self-improvement or or yeah now I'm just like I like sit around with anxiety I'm like oh my god like I'm not doing anything to better myself and then it just becomes like another spiral so so how are you uh- working through that like how are you learning to to maybe be more to not feel that compulsion to constantly be fixing or improving yourself and just maybe learning to love yourself as is Mm. honestly I haven't worked on it in the past year um I haven't it was like a whole thing for me where I think in year two I like discovered so many things about myself and like that's when I started digging through the things and it was super painful and like still I can barely even think about them so um when I guess around going into the third year I was just like I just need a break from this and it it lasted longer than it should have for sure like I took a I just like gave myself a complete break I haven't really exercised or um, dieted, diet culture, or um, I was in therapy, but that went south too. So it was making another thing that was making my life stressful. Um, But I do think that I kind of screwed myself because I took away all the things that were originally a toolbox for me. And then they started becoming stressful, and then I kind of was left with nothing, and now I'm, like, not doing very well, so. So I guess where do you draw that line between working on yourself unhealthily and equipping yourself with the things you need to, I mean, just even baseline, like, survive as a person or maybe grow and develop as a person? Well, I think that uh, you take things day by day. You sometimes have to take them hour by hour. And um, that was a big thing that I did actually learn this past year was instead of looking three months down the line, like maybe just look one week ahead and figure out how I can do what I need to do that week. Um, So another angle I wanted to take on this episode was also about maintaining sobriety maybe beyond the pink cloud um again like i don't know this feels like kind of a shitty thing to say but i think early in the new year you're gonna have a lot of uh like sobriety i'm cringing saying it because i know i sound like some elitist asshole but like sobriety tourists almost like people who are hopping on board because um like definitely because they want to make positive changes in their lives but maybe also because uh, you know, it's like a trendy new health thing to do. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to like besmirch anyone considering sobriety for any reason at all. But if somebody wants to continue it past maybe the initial feelings of euphoria and they want to do it in a healthy way, what, what does that look like? Like, what would you share from your kind of trek through, through your early years of sobriety? And how did you how did you get to where you are now and how have you been so successful at it? 
So one of the biggest things that... I would recommend is some having some sort of accountability partner or someone else that you can rely on that you trust. Do you want to talk about your accountability partner? Derek, that is a great idea. So my best friend, Kate, she got sober on January 15th of 2017 and she was my best party friend. And it actually probably caused some rips between us because for like the last six months when I was going through my crazy shit, she was like trying to stop drinking. And I was like, ew. (laughs) And um, then she finally was just like, yeah, I'm done on January 15th of 2017. And oh, she's going to have a sober, sober birthday coming up. Yeah. And she was able to do it. So, you know, some more crazy shit happened to me, like. And I didn't have her, and she just never pressured me or anything. Um, But I could just see, like, in the first two months how it was changing her and changing her life. And I think, like, she is 95% of the reason why I was able to be like, oh, let me try that too. Or I can do this, because I had her. So um, thank you, Kate. I love you. Um, and still too, I mean, that's after kind of all my ideas went south of becoming a yoga teacher and stuff. I you sounded <laughs> like genuinely disappointed that you didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, so when all that stuff went south, um, or more so like I realized like I'm not a yoga teacher <laughs> for sure. Um, I had a good idea of starting a sober Instagram and it kind of was before like, all these accounts came in, and um, the purpose of our sober Instagram was to create a new sort of community for people around our age um, to feel more comfortable and use technology and just kind of like an open chat forum. Um, let people know, like, hey, what your feelings all right? Like, guess what? Like, we don't have to drink like I think you probably I don't know if you feel the same way but like not having to drink is like one of the biggest reliefs and like I didn't realize that till like later of course but like oh my god it's such a relief not having to drink (laughs) yeah especially when you think of like I know personally for me like my entire social life was predicated around like Worrying about when I was going to drink next or worrying about getting alcohol or worrying about the things I said or did when I was drunk or worrying. It was just like for something that I allegedly enjoyed a lot, yeah. it caused nothing but like stress and anguish. Or like in my having life. to um, like if you wanted to go to a concert, like you have to take off the next day because you like you'd be too hungover to, to yeah, to to or just stumble into uh, depending on your job. Oh, and yeah. this is definitely sh- something I did. Show like. up to work drunk. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, that's a huge relief and having her in my corner was huge for me. Um, And then the Sober Podcast and then definitely starting the Sober Instagram. And I think a lot of women, I think we were around 29, 30-ish when we started the Instagram and even like that age, there's still a drinking culture. It's insane. Do you find it's uh, sorry, I'm just going to interject here really quickly. Do you find that um, 
it's more pronounced maybe in in women at that age than men? Or do you think it's... Because um, no. I've noticed, especially sobriety culture, seems to be very woman-centric. Um, and maybe that's just because women are generally more comfortable talking about like being vulnerable and talking about the shit they went through yeah. and, and talking about the shit they experienced being sober. Um, but do you find that... And maybe it was just a byproduct of the social circles you ran in, but our, our 30 year old, well, that's a dumb fucking question. Cause I know how I was as a 30 year old man. I was drinking a fuck ton. Um, but do you find that maybe more 30 year old women or women in their early thirties relate, uh, more to the, the sobriety movement than men do? Um, maybe just more vocally. Uh, we definitely have a lot of men too. And then it's, it was like kind of like just finding like your own social circle on Instagram. Um, could because we, um, you know, had a lot of followers at first when we started. And, but then there was definitely people that like didn't agree with things they were saying. So we're like, see ya. Um, and then just meeting more like, it was just such a great tool to meet more like minded women um so i mean i personally prefer the sisterhood but um and now that instagram sobriety culture has kind of taken off um i know there were a lot of hot takes based on that in general kind of shared across the the sober instagram sphere earlier earlier this year or last year i guess um talking about how uh, it was it was basically like a permanent pink cloud. Like it was just not portraying uh, a realistic image of, of what sobriety was. Everyone was like always shiny and happy and um, this be your, be your best self and self-love and self-care and nobody ever talked about the dark and dirty shit that came along with that. Um, <clears throat> do you find that's more helpful or harmful to to people who are trying to sober up all that glitters is not gold uh i think it's harmful but it's just like social media harmfulness in general you know like everyone portraying their perfect lives us included um do we do that (laughs) we were fighting for an hour before this do you want to talk about (laughs) what a butter dish a butter dish okay and a garbage can back to sobriety sorry so domestic. Um, so I think that social media in general is just really fucking fake. But um, there are some good accounts out there that share the nitty gritty. Maybe, you know, some people do just get sober and have a great life. And that's awesome. Um, but I think I know that Sober Kate's. I'm pretty much depressive aggressive, so I pretty much only share the bad parts of things. <laughs> um, maybe that's why people like you so much. <laughs> it's like so much more relatable. Yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> um, I'm just, you know, like I have said earlier, it's I may be sober, but like I'm not. Like this is, might be like the worst I've ever felt. So, and I did a post recently about how like. Oh, like I'm sober. I finally got the love of my life. I have my dream job, and like 
I'm still like not happy. And then the happiness is like the pink cloud. So you can't just keep chasing it. It's just something that comes and goes. I tell you that a lot. You do. Mm-hmm. Um, that happiness isn't something you can just chase after. Well, yeah, and is it like is happiness supposed to be this like permanently attainable state? Like it seems to be like that's how a lot of people, probably myself included, to some extent, like approach it, right? Like everyone needs to always be happy. So something I've worked through in therapy recently is that like negative emotions or things that I perceive to be negative, like um, like fear or shame or anger or sadness, uh, are like they're okay. They're part yeah. of the human experience. Could you imagine, like, everyone wants to just be happy all the time, but could you imagine never feeling sad again? That'd be weird. Well, I could imagine me never feeling sad, but if everyone else was permanently happy, they'd be fucking annoying. I'd probably be sad about having to be surrounded by happy people all the time. That's kind of how I feel around you sometimes. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> we'll work through that okay. on the other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so realistically, out of the pink cloud, how do you manage, like you talked about maybe not being prepared for when uh, life threw that first challenge at you in sobriety? I'm assuming it did. Yes. And you got through it. Yes. And you didn't immediately turn back to drinking. No. So how, how... Do you manage life's challenges now in the absence of alcohol? And how is that kind of like, has that evolved over your sobriety? Um, did you find you had to like distract yourself with things early on and, and now you can kind of process things? Um, I know to an outsider like me, when, when I look at you, you're definitely better at like taking things head on and, and kind of like turning them over and, and processing them and dealing with them. Um, than even someone like me who has a tendency to kind of push them away or, or not do that or just react immediately in the moment. Um, so have you always been that way or is that something that's that's evolved throughout your sobriety? I think I've always been that way. Thank you, anxiety. <laughs> uh, where I just personally internalize things and think them through um, excruciatingly. So uh, I've always been like that. So I am cautious, I guess, in that realm. Um, For me, so I started therapy before I got sober. Interesting. Most people do not take, uh, do things in that order. Yes. Um, So I started therapy before I got sober. So I knew I had some issues. I've always known that I've had depression, um, it took a long time for me to make that phone call to the doctor. Uh, and then also it took me a while to find the right therapist. So do not give up if the first one, second one, you don't feel a vibe with them. And then um, my therapist never suggested to me to stop drinking. But when I told her, she was just like, oh, OK, <laughs> makes sense. Probably for the best. Um, so, uh, someone that had never been to therapy before, uh, that was huge for me, uh, learning how to deal with all of these things that I drank. And I think maybe even being in therapy before and then starting to work on that 
kind of gave me um, maybe some easier footing to quit drinking. Uh, because, you know, now if I could deal with these things personally, then maybe I didn't have to drink myself into oblivion to forget about them. And then also to, like, horrible, horrible anxiety. Um, Drinking was the only way for me to turn that off. And then also working with my therapist to um, just kind of work through and, like, sit with those emotions like you were telling me. And what else was the question? Oh, uh, what's your, how do you, how do you deal with life's challenges now? So for me, so I'm not in therapy anymore. And that is because of my job change. And then also like I travel for work, so I'm not home Monday through Friday. I'm a nomad. <laughs> and um off visiting your boyfriend in Canada. I've been in Canada for I don't even know how many days at this point. <laughs> Fifteen. Um so I and I didn't I wasn't vibing with my therapist anymore. We kinda like reached a breaking point where, you know, I got some fucked up shit going on and she can only help me so much. <laughs> 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 and um so now I'm kind of just like, I have no real coping me- mechanisms. Um, and also, too, some personal things. Uh, I think um, being back in a toxic environment um, has caused, like, some major setbacks in some work that I've done on myself as far as, like, boundaries, um, buzzword boundaries is concerned. Um and just dealing with um, bad relationships like that. I was going to ask if you would recommend uh, therapy as part of any, like, sobriety life change, but I'm just going to preempt you there and say, like, yeah, fucking absolutely. Even whether... Why are you making that face? Even whether whether you are sober or not. Sober, I think that... Every single person should be in some sort of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just as a group of people in general. I know. <laughs> Including me. <laughs> um, just as a group of people in general, I think generally people just can't work through their stuff, so they got something going on. Um, they're not effectively dealing with it, and you know it is very difficult. I'm not going to put that lightly. Um, well, yeah, it, it's amazing because we were, particularly in our generation, I feel like we were all raised, nothing against our parents. Um, you know, I they, they loved us. They probably did the best they could. They might have been perfectly fine parents, but they still... Uh, they they grew up in an era where their parents and their family units operated in a certain way and there were these very specific roles and like people didn't like people didn't give a shit about their emotions or their feelings or in like coddling children or in um any of that shit or in allowing children to express themselves or feel like they were seen or heard uh and then that's kind of been passed on generation to generation and now like even if our parents were like fine parents they still I think managed to fuck us up to some degree, definitely some more than others. So, um, yeah, I think therapy is absolutely, I mean, everyone's got baggage that we're all carrying. 
some of us have no idea where it has even come from. Some of us have pretty much clearer ideas, but uh, therapy can definitely help unearth some of that. Uh, and I would definitely recommend it as well. Cool. Okay, do you have anything else you'd like to add about the Pink Cloud or maybe uh, give a little pep talk to our, our first week sober people who might be listening to this podcast? I guess my best advice would be to, like I said, one day at a time. That is awesome. And to get someone in your corner. Um, it is super hard to do something like that alone, especially because you can feel so socially isolated because drinking culture and everyone, most people don't know what to do if they're not drinking, honestly. And um, I know for me personally, I had to basically take the risk of maybe not having any more friends ever, but instead I found new friends through Instagram, through my community, um, and my friends that stuck around too. Um, and I created new relationships with them too that were a lot more meaningful than meeting up to get a couple of drinks and some surface level conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when it comes to connecting with other sober people there, because this movement, like it does definitely feel like it's growing uh, quite a bit. So uh, in a lot of cities, you will find like sober meetup groups or you'll find online sober communities or you'll find, um, you know, AA is good, but there are more um, modern or more like fellowship focused approaches, I think that like. I think the people have just spoken that they want something else you know you can work multiple programs and yeah absolutely um and on that note uh if you're in the vancouver area check out uh van sober we do have a meetup group we try to get together about once a month our next meetup will be happening on uh january 14th which is next tuesday i believe uh hopefully i have this episode posted before then if not sorry you missed it and hope we can see you at the next one and if you're in Philadelphia, um, on our Instagram account, The Sober Kates, we frequently post like any sober activities that we know of in the area. And um, if you are listening from Philadelphia and we haven't shared anything and that you've got going on, just slide into our DMs. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so, Kate, you've listened to the podcast before. Mm-hmm. You know that we usually like to close off every episode with one recommendation, uh, something that you're listening to or uh, reading or watching or doing uh, other than drinking. What what would you like to recommend to the listeners of the podcast? So one of the biggest things that, I, that helped me in early sobriety was, and I still love to do this, was on like Friday nights is like your normal night to unwind and go party with your friends. Um, so I took that and found something else I like to do. And basically like almost every Friday night, well, in the beginning I would get a pint of ice cream and just like watch TV. Now I go to Whole Foods, get a nice kombucha and go home and watch TV. And I found that it's like the perfect solution for me. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. That actually sounds really nice. It is. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh, What's your favorite kombucha? Baba's kombucha, the bee's knees. That's the the honey one. Yep. Yeah. Available in 
Philadelphia specifically? Yeah, I think the Baba's is spreading around, so. Cool. Uh, my recommendation this week is a book that my therapist recommended to me. Uh, it is called Attached. It is all about adult attachment styles um, and how you can understand yours better and potentially have a more successful relationship. Thank you. With a girl. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm doing it all for you. Um, I'd like to thank Kate Cranley for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Kate, uh, people can follow you on Instagram at the sober Kates and Derek, thank you for having me and sitting next to me here and uh, allowing me to spend this nice time with you. The pleasure was all mine, and I really hope we can have you again. All right. Uh, on that note, if you're on Instagram, feel free to give our account a follow. It is at Van Sober. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and if no one has any further business, meeting adjourned. Ciao. Disclaimer, nothing in this podcast constitutes medical or professional advice. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, there are a number of resources available. We'll link to these resources in the show notes for each episode so that you can get the support you need. 